Well, good morning, everyone. You're tuned to Community Radio 3CR. Time is just after 7.30. And, of course, it's time for the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy. First up, of course, because it's the second Sunday in the month, we have to say a very good morning to uh, Graham Sargent from Silky's Rose Farm in Clombenane. Morning, Graham. Good morning, Pam, and good morning, everybody out there in listening land. Hey, what about getting up and having a look at sunrise, you, you, you people? <laughs> Um, it's absolutely, absolutely amazing. Yes. 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 A- a- amazing. Fiery red on the horizon yes. and then extending up. Just incredible. Yes. And um, so make sure you come out with your gumboots on <laughs> and um, maybe um, just get into water sports. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, the other thing today is there's, there's a high wind warning out. Yes. So um, any loose objects around the garden, I think yes. you need to... Um, pop them somewhere safe, tie Ooh. them down, whatever you need to do. But uh, things could be flying there for a few hours. Yes, yes. Watch, <sighs> watch out for anything that um, could happen with, with trees. There's been a lot of trees coming down. Mm. It's been amazing, up, even up along the highway. Mm. Yeah, just straight up out of the ground. Mm. I mean, we've had dry dry periods of weather and then, then this incredible rain and mm. it's, yes. Yeah, unreal. Absolutely, and isn't it isn't it um, red sky in the morning? Shepherd's warning. Yes. So um, I think we could be in for a doozy. <laughs> a doozy, a doozy, Pam. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> we also have to welcome back into the studio Tim Sansom from the Diggers. Good morning, morning Tim. Morning, Pam. Morning, gardeners out there. Oh, absolutely, and uh, of course it, it is um, spring or or. Um, mm. You know, it feels like spring. I, sometimes, then other times it feels I, I like there's winter. A, there's, a, there's a harbinger of spring when I drive in early in the morning when there's bugs splat on the windows. You know, <laughs> there's more activity out there. Yeah, I, was right. getting, I had to clean the windscreen three or four times this morning to see the beautiful sunrise yeah, as it right. was coming in. Certainly yeah. the lawnmowers are all back out again yeah, in yeah. force. There's so. a hell of a lot of biomass out there yes. I think, this year. I, well, well, actually, we've had a wonderful spring. And this is, this is, I think this is a joyous spring. We've got a... a um, in prospect, a gardening season that is the best we've had for we a number of years. It's we really have. quite exciting because we've actually also had winter chill and some and some frost. So yeah. um, it all harbours well. A proper winter, a proper spring. Let's hope. I remember last year this time it kind of we had this winter that was wet for a little while. Then we went spring for about a week, and then we were into summer by That's this time right. last year. And it That's was, right. Um, it's, good, it's good to see a bit more water around in the ground. Uh, yes. I've, I've, you know, people up north are probably saying too much. I know my folks are up in Castlemaine. Oh, they're, Their dams are, are chock-a-block. Yes, right. haven't been that full for over a mm. decade. And I was talking to mum last night. She said, we've had enough. And I'm sure there's a lot of people <laughs> up there saying we've had enough. So. Absolutely. Mm. Can you believe they're saying that it's too wet to grow rice? Yes, I Now that is too. unbelievable. Yeah, soon as it was actually too wet to grow water lilies. Yeah. <laughs> oh dear. We also have to welcome back into the studio Chloe Foster from Friends of the Royal Botanic Gardens Cranburn Group. Good morning, good Chloe. Good morning, everyone. How are you all? We're really well. well. That's good. No, I've been so excited by all this rain. I was up in the Grampians last weekend. Oh, right. And driving up the Western Highway towards Halls Gap, there was just. Puddles in paddocks everywhere, and the every single river and creek we drove past was absolutely brimming. There was so much water, and the waterfalls at the Grampians oh. were just incredible. Broken Falls, which is normally a tiny trickle, they're quite wide. There's normally a tiny trickle down the left-hand side of the rocks were gushing. It was absolutely pumping the water, and they'd close Mackenzie 
river uh, Mackenzie walked down the bottom and he couldn't get down there because it was too much water so yeah. it was really cool isn't it amazing waterfalls. to see it, it always makes me think think of the sort of magnitude of geological time mm. that that's the event that creates that waterfall mm. and they only happen once every 10 yeah. years or 20 years there was a sign at Mackenzie and it said um, it was talking about the geology and the sort of sandstone that that river and those falls are on and it said with all this extreme rain, it's going to degrade and, and work away this and, and the waterfalls sort of move backwards and move up the river yeah. over time. And it's um, a little fact they had on their little fact bubble said that Niagara Falls has moved back about 11 kilometres in the last 10,000 really? years or something because of that yeah. the force from the water wearing yeah. down the rock. Mm. And I thought that was quite amazing because yeah. you look at a waterfall and you know you don't really think of it moving no you think it's static you think it's mm. yes. rocks you know? yeah exactly it's, yeah. it's on you know going mm. over hard rock but you know water is quite strong yeah. as we've mm. found out oh yes the last couple of weeks <laughs> <laughs> with all the flood waters and and especially around the murray area and the yeah. ovens and all that so water is the the biggest sculptor or it is the landscape sculptor. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. All the landscape we see is created by yeah. water moving through it yeah. over millennia. It's yeah. fascinating when you think of it. If you had a time lapse footage of you know that went back a million years, the landscape would just be constantly in yep. motion. Yes. Yep. Mm. yep. Any wildflowers up in the Grampians at the moment? Oh, I was going nuts. It was so <laughs> exciting. <laughs> we went to this little spot called Heatherly Quarry, and um, there's some beautiful um, sandstone cottages that were built there in the late. 1800s that are still standing. It was a bit refining bit, so we took shelter under there for a little while. But there was so many um, orchids, the glissodias, which is called the wax slip orchid. I normally see them. They're normally about the size of a 50-cent coin when I see them around Melbourne, but they were abso- they were double the size. Goodness. And they were everywhere. There was heaps of pultaneas and um, the little um, tinsel lily, Calactasia, which is a really bright blue, and it kind of looks... The flowers are kind of shiny and they're really hard to get in cultivation. So it was very exciting to see them in the wild and there was heaps of running postman mm. canadias and um, lots of the grampians thryptamine as well. So it was everything was flourishing. It was fantastic and heaps of grevilleas too. So yes, brilliant. The wildflowers are very exciting. So definitely a good time to head up in that direction. Mm. Yeah, it really is. It really is. And I um, got to see the Pomonal Flower Show again, which the APS Grampians Group all right. Put on every year, and it's. I mean, you, a lot of they get, they get a lot of people coming from all over the state for that flower show, and for good reason too. Last year was the first year I went, and they were in. Um, they were just in the marquee because the the Pomonal town were doing up the the town hall, and so they didn't have a town hall. So the town hall has been built now, and it was just huge. I think people were saying oh, this is one of the biggest shows they've ever had. There was just tables and tables of flowers. And heaps of banksias and um, and grevilleas and and all the local species as well, and they put on a really fantastic show. Wow! Yeah, so okay, it was it was a flower filled weekend. My weekend last week, which was great. Fantastic! <laughs> yeah, fantastic! Absolutely loved it. Okay, I must get to uh, some community announcements because there's so much happening. I mean, obviously, springtime is the busiest time in the. And the calendar for a lot of the uh, the different floral societies and uh, there's so many events. So uh, we'll hop straight into it before we uh, get on to uh, queries and questions. But um, first up, I must remind listeners that Gardevalia has started. Today is uh, part of the first weekend of all the open gardens happening. 
Now, there's a huge calendar of um, open gardens and also of uh, workshops being run over this whole month. I do advise listeners to, um, to jump on their website and uh, it's really, unless you've managed to get your hands on one of their little booklets, there is so much going on uh, that you really need to, uh, to print off um, some of the uh, addresses of open gardens that are taking place and also, of course, having a look at the workshops. Uh, so uh, it's Gardevalia. It's spelt uh, G-A-R-D-I-V-A-L-I-A. And the website is simply gardevalia.com.au. Have a look at that. I should also mention that uh, for many of our listeners, they, uh, they know Meryl Johnson very well from, um, from uh, <coughs> Country Farm Perennials. Now, Meryl's um, garden is uh, going to be opening up as part of Gardevalia, and that will be opening next Saturday onwards from the 15th, uh, running right through until Wednesday the 2nd of November, open 10 till 4 every day and free entry to the gardens and nursery there. So, as I say, Merrill is also opening this part of Gardevalia, so do go on that website and have a look. There's some absolutely magnificent gardens opening up there um, all for the month of October. Now, also on today, today is the second day of the Roringal Orchid Society Spring Orchid Show. This is being held at Sansava Community Centre. That's at 212 Diamond Creek Road in Greensboro. Uh, now, it's running. It's open at 9.30 this morning through till 4 o'clock this afternoon. Admission is $5. And uh, the Warringal Orchid Society meets at the Warringal Community Centre at 80 Horton Street in Heidelberg on the third Wednesday of each month at 8 o'clock. So visitors and new members are most welcome that one. Now also on today um, A.B. Bishop handed me uh, this one because there's an open garden today uh, which she is going to be a guest speaker at as well. Now it's called Grand's Native Garden. It was established in 2003. It features native plants, landscaping interspersed with sculptures and it's raising money for the proposed Wildlife Art Museum of Australia project. Now, the project aims to celebrate the relationship between art, science and nature. It features an exhibition of artworks by Chris Nichols. As I mentioned, guest speaker will be A.B. Bishop, um, who, of course, is a horticulturalist and co-author of the Australian Native Garden with Angus Stewart. And she's going to speak about how to enliven your garden with native plants. Now, there'll be guided walks... Um, there'll be art activities, there'll be a barbecue, afternoon tea available. Now, the address, um, and we were just talking about the Grampians. This is in stall, 207 Pomonal Road in stall. Now, uh, admission is adults $10, children are free. If you'd like more information on that, you can phone Glenda, and her number is 0409 827. That's 0409 Now, uh, coming up during the week, uh, on Wednesday, uh, which is the 12th of October, the Friends of Burnley Gardens have uh, 
uh, got a talk taking place by Jean Dunn and Jean's passion is breeding Australian orchids. Now, as I mentioned, the talk will be next Wednesday at University of Melbourne Burnley campus, 500 Yarra Boulevard in Richmond. 7 o'clock for drinks and nibbles, 7.30 for the talk. Cost is $5 for members of the Friends Group, $15 for visitors. Um, plenty of parking available in the boulevard there. And for inquiries, you can email friends.burnley at gmail.com or phone 9035 6815. Uh, some more coming up uh, October the 11th. Iris Society have got their early show on. The venue is the Jean McKendry Neighbourhood Centre which is at uh, 91 to 111 Melrose Street in North Melbourne. Uh, 8pm is the time for that. It's free for that one. Uh, And coming up 14th to the 16th, so that's running right through next weekend, including the Friday, Ballarat Annual Orchid Show. Um, The venue for that one is the Primary Industries Training Centre, corner of Gillies and Gregory Street in Wendaree. Times Friday 1 till 5, Saturday 10 till 4, Sunday 10 till 3. Cost is $3 for that one. Uh, Now also next weekend, there's quite a bit happening. Box Hill Floral Arts Society have got their floral art exhibition. Venue for this one is Whitehorse Centre, which is at 379 to 397 Whitehorse Road in Nunawadding. Now... uh, that's uh, running from um, 10 and f- 10 through to 4. Uh, if you'd like more information on that one, you can contact Beverly 9898 2483. And also next weekend, the Yarra Valley Orchid Society Spring Show. It's certainly still orchid time, Tim, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> the venue for that one is Seville Hall, Warburton Highway, Seville. Times are Saturday 9 till 5, Sunday 9 till 4. Um, cost is $5 per person. And for more information on that one, you can contact Frankie on 9802 Just a few more I should get to, and I might come back to some more a little bit later, but these are all for next week end. Um, Native Flower Show coming up next weekend as well. The Australian Plant Society South Gippsland Group have got their native uh, flower show on. It also includes a plant sale and a book sale. It's being held at the Leangatha Recreation Reserve in the club room there. Adult entry is $4 and 10 o'clock through till 4pm on both days. Uh, The Art of Botanical Illustration. Now, this is an annual event that takes place every year in October. Um, It's being held at Domain House there in Dallas Brooks Drive in Melbourne and uh, it's open 10am through to 4 o'clock daily, 15th of October, running right through till the 30th of October. Entry is simply gold coin donation and all works displayed will be for sale. And uh, also, um, last one for next weekend... uh, Part of Open Gardens Victoria, they have their next Open Garden next weekend. Now, this is one that I'm sure a lot of listeners would be interested in. This is Sam Cox's garden in Wattle Glen. Now, it is um, an Australian native garden. It's evocative of the Australian bush landscape. Um, 
Now, it's, uh, as I said, next weekend, both uh, Saturday and Sunday, 15th and 16th, open 10 till 4.30 both days. Entry price for that one is $8. Children under 18 are free. The address is 12 Lorimer Road in Wattle Glen. And uh, Sam will also discuss... uh, the garden and challenges facing gardens by the new normal of higher temperatures and reduced rainfall. So he's giving two talks, one at 11am and one at 2pm on the Saturday. That's next Saturday, the 15th of October. Uh, and uh, once again, our very good friends at Open Gardens Victoria have given us one free double pass for Sam Cox's garden. So if uh, you would like to grab hold of that free double pass, um, do give Jenny a call now on 94190155. That's 94190155. First corner caller will receive that free double pass to Sam Cox's garden in Wattle Glen next weekend. Okay, it looks like we have uh, a caller online already. We're going to go to uh, Elizabeth, who's out in Croydon. Good morning, Elizabeth. Good morning. Good morning. Um, My question is, in uh, last autumn, we trimmed our ornamental vine, and my husband uh, took the branches and and made them all in little uh, pieces, and we spread them out over the garden path. And now with all the rain, all those oh, all those pieces, but pieces are start, starting to sprout. Oh. And I'm very worried that I'm getting a vineyard in my backyard. <laughs> yes. So I don't know what to do. <laughs> a lot of people would be very yeah. envious. I don't think you should be worried. No. <laughs> you should be selling them off. <laughs> Uh, well, I'm, I'm 86 and my husband is 91, so it, it might be a bit of a big job if we have to take them all off again. Oh, uh, like I, th- I think it's, so. Th- like I'm imagining the stems that are lying on the ground uh, as as cuttings that have just started to shoot. I mean, so it, yeah. you've effectively done a heap of propagation of your of your. <laughs> is it a grapevine? Did you say? Yeah, ornamental vine. It's an, an ornamental, ornamental. So it'd be yep. the the crimson yep. glory vine, I imagine, yes. most yes. likely. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. Look, it's not going to be a weed problem. I don't think you've got a problem with it taking taking off. If you wanted to, I'd pick some of the best, no. pop them up, and you could you could no. actually. No, no, I don't want to. <laughs> you, you don't want to pop them up. No, I'm, I'm just worried that I get a pass full of, of growing things. I don't want it. Don't so what do I do? Can I just leave it? I think you just leave it. Growing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. You haven't actually put them in the ground. They're just lying flat on the ground. They'll dry off. They'll dry off. Yeah, they'll die off because they're not actually um, in the ground enough to to actually create roots. So it's just they're, they're shooting a little bit. But I wouldn't worry about it at all. I don't think you have a problem. No. So can I just put new mulch over it? Because it's getting very uh, thin and muddy. Yes. Well, certainly yeah. spread mm. some yep. new mulch. That'll that'll stop the light getting to them. Put you won't have a problem. Over. Yeah. Thick layer of mulch. Thick, yeah. You won't okay. have a problem at all, okay? Okay. Thanks very much. Okay, then. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye. Now, Tim, we have to talk about a very special happening that's taking place um, in two weeks' time, 22nd, 23rd of October. Now, regular listeners to the show know that every year um, the Growing Friends Group run um, a plant sale at – well, they run two. They run one in autumn and one in spring – um, a big plant sale uh, to raise money for um, the Royal Botanic Gardens Melbourne. 
But this year, diggers have combined with uh, the Growing Friends. Yeah, so we we teamed up. So so Clive Blazy, our founder, and Tim Entwistle, the director at the Botanic Gardens, had a brainchild about a year or so ago that there might be some way where we could support uh, the Diggers Club could support the the Growing Friends and and support the gardens. And there's also a bit of a, a lack of a decent. Um, garden event or for people who are really into collecting plants and rare rare and interesting things in the springtime in Melbourne. So we've got together uh, and we've put together a, a, a plant fair, which we're calling the Rare and Botanic Plant Fair. So it's hosted at the Botanic Gardens in the Observatory Precinct on the 22nd and 23rd of October. Uh, we've got we've invited along with the, the the friends group. So the friends group will have a a large plant stand, plant stall as they as they do with their normal spring. Yes. Um, we've also got a, a bunch of other um, stall holders coming along. We've got some of the some of the, I guess the um, the celebrities, the rock stars of the, the of the the garden world out there. So we've got antique perennials. We've got cottage farm perennials, post office farm, which is Peter oh, Peter yes. Lee's hellebores. We've got Alameda uh, clematis nursery. Hanneman's roses, uh, Yamino rare plants, which is wow. Peter Tees. He's um, he's got some wonderful things. We've got, as well as garden material, we've also got um, uh, Floralegium books. Gil Teague from up in Sydney, who's got the best selection of, oh, of botanical books amazing. in the country. So, yes, um, we've got uh, worm lovers. We've got uh, botanic garden garden tours, as well as diggers. will have our own uh, stand there with uh, plant stand, and we'll be selling seeds and bulbs and club memberships. Uh, so it's it's going to be a, it was the first time we've done it, right? Uh, but it's a really exciting event. Um, you know, it's been great to team up with the Botanic Gardens and get such a um, a wealth of interest or commonality of interest around mm. what is. I mean, I guess the inspiration for this came because much of the the garden trade is becoming a bit homogenised, and a lot of the box stores are running much the same sort of material mm. in each of their each of their their garden outlets, and. The sort of corner store or the the local gardens garden um, garden centre, which was sort of locally owned or, or family owned, which propagated and promoted interesting rare and interesting plants, are becoming harder to, to find or far harder, harder to seek out. Yes. So we thought that if we bring them all together in one place, that'll give gardeners who are seeking something a bit different a real destination to come and check out and purchase some plants that are a bit more off the beaten track. Absolutely. Some of the things that have kind of fallen out of common cultivation. Yep. Uh, so it's 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 really exciting to, to pull together a, a, a great team of, of, of growers and interested botanical and garden people uh, to present an event like this, which we hope will become a real staple mm. of, the, of the, the calendar in Melbourne and be something that um, it supports. Because it's not only is it about that promotion of those garden materials but it's also the the proceeds of this go to the to the to the friends group so there's a there's a, a real commonality and a real sort of a, a, uh, i guess a greater picture around this yep it's not just about us flogging product it's actually about um, supporting the botanic gardens which when australia has some of the best botanic gardens in the world oh we do have and, yeah. and i think some of us don't appreciate it enough but but i was delighted i was in the botanic gardens um <clears throat> a few the Melbourne ones a few uh, Sundays ago, and I was so delighted to see just how many people are using the gardens. Yeah. I mean, it was it was almost crowded. It was unbelievable. Well, I mean, it, it, like we said at the start of the, the start of the program, this is a it's, it's a time of the year when we want to experience gardens, and there's a lot of people I think in in Melbourne who are perhaps you know living in high rise or living in in confined spaces that get to use this public space, this as which is world class botanic gardens. 
as their garden experience. Yes. And, and it, it is. It's second to none, really, in the world, our, the botanic gardens that we have here in, in Australia, particularly in Melbourne, both across the city and yeah. up, at, up at Cranbourne or down at Cranbourne, or over at Cranbourne. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's a really exciting event. And so we've, we've got it. Um, it's set up as a, as a plant stall, a, a, a plant fair, but we also have a bunch of other activities going around. We have some panel discussions where we, where we've got some guest speakers. Um, we've got we've got Clive doing some talks, but we've also got a whole bunch of other people. We've got Jame Edmondson coming along. We've got Jim Fogarty, uh, Millie Ross, uh, Roger Elliott, and Clive are going to go toe to toe on eucalypts because Clive has this issue around eucalypts, <laughs> and, uh, which will be interesting interesting to to, to, to witness. Yep. We've got. Simon Ricard coming to do some um, talks. We've got Tina Crawford, Michael McCoy. And, of course, we've got um, staff and members from the Botanic Gardens. Yes. We've got Tim Entwistle and Chris um, Cole. and Andrew Laidlaw. Andrew Laidlaw and John yep. Arnott, who's a regular on the program here. Yep. Um, so there's a, a whole range of events. We've got a, a couple of really interesting sort of uh, behind-the-scenes uh, endeavours in, in the Botanic Gardens. So we've got, you know, we, we, if we get some tours, you can, you can join a tour and come and see some of the restricted areas in the herbarium um, and have a look at some of the old, the rare books that are in there. That's fantastic. Yeah, so getting a bit of a, getting a glimpse into yes. what we don't normally see. Yes. So there's a, there's a whole, there's a whole program um, and you can go online to the RBG website. So it's rbg.vic.gov.au. Uh, backslash botanic and rare, but if you go onto the Botanic Gardens website, you'll find. I'm the sure links. you'll find a link. Yes. Um, there's so the the event is a it's a ten dollar entry for the for the precinct, so which is around the observatory gate up up near the shrine, up that, that end up near the children's garden. Yes. Um, and it's ten dollars uh, entry, and it's the the panel discussions and events are thirty dollars each, but you book them via the website. Uh, all the pricing and all the all the arrangements are on there. So, so I think the easiest thing is for people to go to that website yeah. and, and have a look through, yep. see if there's a particular panel discussion you, you really want yeah. to attend. Yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a whole listing of them there and, and yes. the bookings all via the, that website. It's, it's, a, it's a comprehensive uh, presentation of what's going on there. So if you're interested, remember the RBG website, rbg.vic.gov.au, and just follow the links to the rare and botanic Fantastic! It's going to be a massive two days, Tim. Yeah, it's going to be. I'm going to be tired after those couple of days. <laughs> I think you are. <laughs> My goodness! So we we must remind listeners of the date. Um, it is the 22nd and 23rd of October. So that's in two weeks' yep. time. Um, we will talk about it more again next week. But um, the the number of growers. I mean, I have a list in front of me, and uh, some of the stallholders really. You'd have to be travelling all over Victoria yeah. to get to each of these individual um, nurseries. Mm. And uh, it's just amazing to have them all in the one place. It's going to be really fantastic. So I do urge anybody who's at all interested, particularly in rare plants and, you know, plant material you can't get your hands on so mm. easily, uh, certainly not in, in many of the local um, uh, suburban nurseries, then uh, this is the plant... Sale to end all sales, I think. <laughs> well, hopefully it doesn't end all sales. Hopefully it keeps going <laughs> no, no, on no, on. no. Yeah. Well, well, until next year. <laughs> until next year, yeah. And and I think it's also, I mean, like I said, it's it's not just about the plant stalls, which are obviously a significant attraction, and it's bringing all that material together. But it's also about a sort of a lively discussion about where gardening's at uh, in current climate, you know, where we're at in terms of uh, our future. The climate's hotting up. What are some of the, you know, the the plants that get us passionate. Yes. So it's it's sort of a real, you know, melting pot of ideas too. That's and hopefully that sort of sets the tone for for gardening in the future and for future years.
Absolutely. Yeah, fantastic. Well, good luck. And um, I, I must say, you know, we should thank Diggers for and, and, and Clive for having the, the thought for him and Tim to combine to, um, to pull this off because I think it's um, what has been um, an event for Melbournians every year in the Botanic Gardens anyway to try and support the gardens and the growing friends. But this really turns it into something very special. So I hope it, it, be, it does become an annual event. Yeah, we hope so too. I think... I think, um, you know, hopefully, yeah, as you say, hopefully this becomes a, a part of the, the calendar. Yeah. Uh, and, and, it, and it has the combined benefit of, the, of bringing people together who are passionate gardeners from the whole community and also supporting the Botanic Gardens in their, their fantastic mission in, in preserving and presenting and communicating what is good gardening. Yes. Mm. And I must say, too, I've, I've had the, the pleasure of hearing uh, Tim speak fairly recently about his vision, um, you know, for the for the future of, of the Melbourne Botanic Gardens. And he has got some amazing, amazing mm. visions for things to come and what to do because, because, of course, it's not just our own gardens we have to think about with the changing climate, um, you know, with the temperatures rising, with with potentially um, less rainfall. Or more, um, freak, or or rainfall more, or, in heavy bursts. Or, and, yeah. yeah, serious events. Mm. Um, but, of course, the gardens also have to, have to think of this and they have to think of succession planting and mm. what's going to be suitable for the future. Um, so, yes, it's, it's uh, something that affects all of us. Yeah, and I think, well, we can all have a contribution here. We can, Absolutely. We can, we can come along and support the Botanic Gardens mm. as yep. well as replicating some of the ideas that are happening in the Botanic Gardens in our own gardens. Definitely. Which is, which is that whole, you know, uh, diversification of the urban forest into the, the, the urban areas in particular are crying out for a long-term vision on, yep. on, on planting and planting design and, and that sort of succession planting. And I think this is part of that broader discussion. Sure. Mm. It's high time I invited listeners to join us. If you'd uh, like to give us a call, we'd love to hear from you this morning. That number is 94190155. That's 94190155. Um, Tim, I also have to say that uh, the new Spring Garden catalogue is out for diggers. Yes, it should be just hitting club members mm. this week. Yes, success with citrus, one of the uh, yeah, yeah. one of the big articles in it this uh, this uh, edition. Yeah, we've um, well, we've done actually citrus. And I've brought a couple of citrus trees in here to talk about, um, which I can just reach. Um, which obviously gardeners at home can't see because we're on the radio, but now. What, our, what we've done with citrus is we've sort of dipped back into the, the whole rootstock discussion uh, and with with the help of Ian Tolley, who's a citrus uh, legend. Well, he's uh, an absolute guru, yeah, isn't absolute he? Yeah, absolute guru. And, and Ian and I have been talking about citrus for many years. Um, he's up in Renmark and he's he's in his 80s and he's about to actually produce, uh, well, shortly he'll be pr- printing his magnum opus on citrus. Um but we've, I've been working with him quite a lot on what are the most appropriate rootstocks for Australian gardeners. And this is something okay. that's, that's not actually widely understood. If you, if you go into your local garden centre and you look at the citrus, often you won't even see labelled what the, what, what the, the rootstock, what the rootstock is. is, which right. is a bit of a travesty mm-hmm. because rootstock is a very important part of, of growing citrus successfully. Yep. Yep. Um, and you'll often see you know, dwarf citrus written on the label. And what does that actually mean? Often what that actually means is that they're grafted onto a citrus seedling called Flying Dragon. 
uh, flying dragon is the one that's got in front of me here. Okay. Uh, and it's a, uh, it's. I'll just describe it for those at home. Uh, this is a. It's actually an incredibly ornamental, almost bonsai looking. It is, plant. isn't it? It looks like it has been trained because it has all these really intricate curls and thorns uh, in the branching, which give it a real. Um, I guess it almost looks like a. It almost looks like a, an ancient Chinese tattoo. You know, that sort of. It's almost very, contorted, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Zigzagging. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and, and as it grows, the new growth really does grow in very spirally. Um, contorted way, so it's it's actually a variety. It's it's um, Poncirus trifoliata variety monstrosa. That's what it's technically known as. Right. Um, but it's a, it's a seedling, so they all come from seed, uh, and the the rootstock industry is based around seed grown um, rootstocks. But what this one does is it's a deciduous variety. Okay. So it's a deciduous species, um, and it is a slow growing species. Now it imparts um, it imparts tolerance to root rots like Phytophthora, which citrus are very um, are very susceptible to. So often, if you, if you see around a citrus that's growing a citrus tree like a lemon tree, and it's just grown on its own roots as a cutting, it's got a pretty limited lifespan in the ground because they're very susceptible to to Phytophthora and root rot. Um, so without the protection of a, of a rootstock you're limiting the capacity for the thing to live well. So we grow them on a rootstock. We grow them on something like a flying dragon rootstock because it slows the growth down a little. Uh, it's good for cold areas because it's a deciduous variety. It imparts this, this uh, protection from Phytophthora. But there are a couple of choices in rootstocks too. So I've talked here about um, Trifoliata. But we also have, there's basically two types. There's the, the trifoliata, and then we have citrange. So if you're looking at the rootstocks, basically they fall into two categories. Uh, trifoliata has this variant, which is flying dragon, which is except, exceptionally cold tolerant. Uh, and But any of the trifoliatas um, are slower growing, uh, will grow better in cold conditions because they're deciduous. So if you're in areas that get decent frost in the winter, they impart protection for the cold. And they also grow well in heavy clay soils. So if you've got a heavy clay soil and you're a, basically if you're inland, heavy clay soil, somewhere that gets heavy frosts, you should be picking the trifoliata flying dragon type of rootstock. If you're somewhere that gets sandy soils and you're near the coast and you're somewhere that's got a little less frost, you know, maritime climate, but particularly with sandy soils, you should be choosing citrange. Um, so there's been this confusion over the last decade or so where everyone wants a dwarfing tree. Yes. Effectively, what they're getting is one of these flying dragon rootstocks. Okay. But if you're in a sandy soil, it's actually not going to perform all that well. Uh, so you And really, the whole concept of dwarfing a citrus tree is not actually about its rootstock necessarily. It's more about how you train them. Right. Uh, and and I've, I've had this conversation many times with Ian about you know, dwarfing stock and he complete, he's always putting me in my box and says, no, it's not about the rootstock. You basically have to trim them often through the year and they should a citrus tree should only ever be, you know, for a backyard, should only ever be the width of an arm's length. Like, so your shoulder to, the, to your arm should reach into the centre of the tree all the way around. And then you keep trimming it around the edge like that, you know, you can, a couple of times a year, you'll keep the tree relatively small anyway. Um, so rootstock becomes less of an issue in terms of, of containing the size. Okay. And it's more about how you train it and you should pick rootstocks, which are most a- adaptable to your climate and, and your soil type. Right. So how do we encourage, um, you know, growers and producers to actually label rootstock? Well, I think that's right. First thing is to label it. 
the first thing is to know what the rootstocks are and what they do. True. And secondly, it's to label it. So in our current issue, we've done a, a section on growing citrus and we've actually added to that on our website. We've got a whole citrus collect, uh, selection key. Right. Uh, and it sort of runs through if, you're, if you want, if you're heavy soil and you're in a cold climate, then these are the sort of like choose your own adventure. Right. These are the rootstocks <laughs> and varieties that are going to work for you. Okay. Uh, so it's, it, isn't, it isn't, I guess, a really simple story. Um, but you can simplify it and say that if you're in a cold climate, heavy soil, you should be using a trifoliata rootstock, flying dragon being one of them. Uh, and if you're in a sandy soil on a, on a, on a maritime area or on a, on a coastal area, citrange is a better option for you. That said, if you're actually concerned about that and you're not really sure and you're just starting out, all citrus love growing in containers. So they all love growing in a pot, um, in a decent quality potting mix. So I'm, I'm talking about a probably a, a premium grade pine bark based um, potting media. Uh, if if you keep them well watered, they drain well, and you're then isolated from any of the sort of phytophthora or soil borne diseases that yes. are in the open ground. Yes. In a pot, they're actually isolated from that, and they will happily perform quite well in a pot too. Citrus will live for many many years in a pot. So Tim, in a in a in a pot, a self watering pot. Are they advisable? Self-watering pots, well, you, so long as they drain well, I think. Mm-hmm. Some of the self-watering pots can have, you know, if they're working on a wicking system or um, they have a reservoir of water underneath them, you just mm-hmm. want to watch that they're not getting wet. It's okay. not wet all the way through the media. Um, citrus, shallow-rooted, like good drainage. So as long as your drainage is good, mm. yep, they'll work fine. Enough. So is it wise to repot the, the citrus every year? I don't know if every year, mm-hmm. you know, every year or two. depends on the size yeah. of the pot and the vigour of the tree. Mm. Uh, again, Ian tells a great story. Um, in oh, it's, I'm not sure if it's at Versailles or one of the, one of the, the, the big English, uh, sorry, French gardens. They have a conservatory or an orangery, and they have pots that are the size, you know, that are two or three metres mm. across. Um, but they're actually, they open. like they, They're hinged and they physically open the pots. Yes. And they pull them out on, you know, they have some lifting equipment. And they go around and just trim the outer, probably the outer 5 or 10% of the root ball right. on a two-year, two-yearly basis mm-hmm. uh, and then put in fresh media, pop them back in, and those trees are a couple of hundred years old. Right. So, mm. so yes, you, you can't leave it in that one pot forever without feeding it no. uh, and without some repotting every couple of years. Mm. Mm. But, yeah, that, not a hard thing to do, probably mm. a 10-minute job uh, mm. and... They love it. They thrive in, a, in that. And, and things like lemons. They, the, the health people tell us that lemons actually, once they get into your system, they um, become actually alkaline. Everybody t- tends to think that, that lemons are, are um, acid, but in your system they, they turn al- alkaline, and the, the health-conscious people talk about that and find it a great thing, apart from the vitamin C and other things that come from... Yeah, I've got to say I don't know about the the, um, the health benefits of mm-hmm. alkalinity. I'm not a health expert, mm. um, but I do know that um, there's so many varieties of citrus out there that you can mm. use in so many different ways too. I mean, you've yes. got you've got little kumquat nagami that you you can you can make a glass of. You can eat the whole thing fresh, mm-hmm. rind and all. Um, we've got lemon lemonade, which is or Maya lemon, which is a an orange lemon cross, so mm. it's it's quite sweet and, you, and it's better for juicing for, for kids who like a sweet palate. And then you've got your prior Lisbon or your, um, which are I guess the real true sharp ones, which are mm-hmm. sort of probably ones you're talking about. Uh, and we've got in our range this year. I mean, people may have seen the sort of it's sort of a pink fleshed navel orange called Cara Cara. It's it's mm. in, it's coming around in the markets these mm. days. We've got plenty of trees of those this year. I think we're one of the first to have that available in the market. Terrific 
fruit. Mm. Uh, and if you if you have all these basic understandings of how it grows, it'd be really easy to grow too. Mm. And that would get, grow well in a pot? Yeah. All mm-hmm. of them grow well in a pot. Yeah, good. Yeah, yeah all of yeah. them. And it's, it's the same with any pot, any mm. pot culture. Is It's about how big the pot is, mm. how well-maintained the media you're growing is mm. um, to get the results. Clearly in a pot, in, you know, if things are feeding and growing quickly, mm. you need to keep the feed up and liquid feeding every couple of weeks and yeah. you know and, and every couple of every season probably some top dressing with some citrus food mm-hmm. and and that's and a bit of training and that's it mm-hmm. yeah we grow uh very very many citrus trees at work so at my work at the at the zoo the what one of our hosts one of the butterflies is the the citrus lemon trees are a, a host for one of the butterflies. So we've got about 300 oh, wow. uh, Lisbon lemons that, that we look after and they really love the fertiliser and yeah, they the respond fruit. so well. Yeah. And, yeah, when when they come back to us after they've been eaten down, prune the roots back a little bit. And they don't really like being cut across horizontally but vertically yeah. around the sides and then pot it, up, pot it up if it needs to be. But most of ours are in a 12-inch pot and the, the trees will get to about... You're close to four foot before we feed them off. So there's quite a lot of leaf there. We pick the flowers off because we want the leaf. (laughs) But there's a lot of flower on them and, and, you know, that's a small-ish but manageable pot for people to have Mm -hmm. and and grow a lemon tree in it at a decent size. Yeah, and I think be able to get fruit off. That's a really good point about where you chop. Like if you're when you're repotting, Mm. because they are a shallow feeder that, that laterally the roots go lateral. Yeah. That chopping the bottom doesn't doesn't help them no but certainly going around the rim of the when you pull it out just going around that root ball on the outside yep. they regenerate yeah. in no time and just sort of tickling season. it yeah. and loosening it all up a bit because mm. they do get a little bit pot bound but yep. they don't you know they don't mind it no they, they and they bounce back so quickly yeah mm. yeah they do it's amazing what you can do to plants <laughs> <laughs> they're very very forgiving aren't they, they are very forgiving <laughs> yes yes oh amazing uh, and of course, drainage is, yeah, is everything with citrus. And, if, and I guess that's the point too. It's like we're, we're growing them, you know, growing them in a container. You're guaranteed of that drainage because that's what containers do. Yes. Um, uh, the, but when you're planting them in the ground, get your rootstock right. If you've got a heavy clay soil, use trifoliata. If you've got sandy soil, use citrange. But in both circumstances, always mound up a little bit Build from, it the, up. from the general yes. general ground um, because that way you'll guarantee they don't get any waterlogging. If they don't like waterlogging, waterlogging will actually promote phytophthora and root rots. Mm. So you just want to make sure you're covering all those bases. Mm. But look, there's a lot of backyard citrus trees out there that have survived with all sorts of torture. (laughs) 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 Over many generations. Over many generations. (laughs) But there's also a lot of people that have failed. I think, I mean, that's that's why we had that title, Success with Citrus. I mean, citrus is probably the number one topic for talkback radio. That's right. And I know a lot (laughs) of people that have, oh, I've had four goes and I've given up. Um, Once you you understand the key principles and get one going, it's hard to kill them. But you've got to get them over that initial transplant. Yeah, some people have tried with citrus trees for years and years and years, yeah. and they've been in their place or their property for thirty odd years or something, and they've never been able to grow a citrus tree properly. Yeah, and, and I, yeah. I, 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 yeah, it's. I think it's about because, getting them going. I yeah, think, yeah. I mean, there are a couple of so rootstocks is one, and once you understand that, it actually takes a lot out. Mm. They don't like being planted into cold ground, so you know you don't plant them until. The weather, the, the ground starts so to warm up. So autumn, right now is pretty, now, yeah. now is really good as yep. it warms up into growing time. Um, 
when they're when they're planted, and this this was a revelation to me, uh, and it's on our fact sheet on our on our website, is that you take them out of the container, put them in water, and actually sort of thresh them in mm. in the bucket of water, washing off the potting media to get those lateral roots coming out. Right. right. And then if you get if you've got your um, if you've got good compost and blended that with soil, and that and the little, little feeder roots go into that really quickly. But they actually, if you don't do that, they actually can stay in that pot, yeah. that yes. pot shape for yes. a little while yeah. and they're not actually establishing into the ground. Yeah. And so I think a couple of those key factors, which we're, we're trying to get people over the line on, mm. um, will get them across that first mm. sort of six or 12 months and then the trees away and racing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, good point. Mm. Okay. Um, we've had uh, a message come in from the outside line that uh, we were talking, of course, about the big uh, plant sale coming up in two weeks' time. Um, we've had a reminder that friends of the Botanic Gardens will have free entry on that sale day. So, oh, yeah, anyone who's a friend. Yes, that's, that's, yes. yes, so free entry for anyone who's a friend because it's basically it's, it's run between the Diggers Club and Friends of the Botanic Gardens. So. Yes, yes, so, those, so obviously friends yeah. will get free entry. And I should also mention um, uh, for uh, the friends, the growing friends down at the Cranbourne Botanic Gardens have also got a plant sale on the same day for yes. people who can't get up to Melbourne yes, to get right. the main one. So uh, their their plant sale is running those two uh, days as well, the Saturday and the Sunday, 10 through till 4 on both days, and they'll have a wide range of Australian plants in tubes and larger pots for sale, uh, priced from $3. So That's right. Thanks, Pam. Yeah, the, uh, the Cranbourne Growing Friends have got their sale on that weekend as well, so... Yeah, if you can't make it up to Melbourne, come to the Australian Garden. We yes. can't be in two places I at know. once. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Maybe we could, could charter helicopters between yeah, Melbourne sure. and Cranbourne it's for like the, the days. Festival, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, now, I'm pleased to say that uh, online we have Angie Thomas from Yates. Good morning, Angie. Good morning. How is everybody? We're really Good well. Good. Now, Angie, um, I wanted to talk to you this morning because... Um, well, I know, I know for several years now um, we've heard uh, quite a bit of discussion um, of parents who've expressed concerns about um, the food that was offered for students in school canteens. But um, people forgot about what was happening um, from the point of view of uh, schools and other organisations running fundraisers. And I'm, I'm sure many of the parents out listening to the program this morning have had kids bring home boxes of chocolates or um, other pretty unhealthy sugar-based foods to, that they're meant to sell off as a fundraiser for the school. And Yates have stepped in and decided this isn't good enough. Well, that's right. Most parents try pretty hard to fill their kids' lunch boxes and also the dinner table with, with healthy foods and also school canteens are really trying to turn themselves around. But then we put boxes of chocolates and sweets in kids' hands to sell and there's, there's a bit of a disconnect there and I think we're sending the wrong message. So what we wanted to do, there was a couple of really important things that we wanted to do was, one, we want to get more kids involved in gardening. You, know, you give um, a child... Uh, a few square metres of dirt or a few pots and it's amazing how enthusiastic they, they can be. They really want to get their hands dirty. So if we get kids involved in gardening by allowing them more access to seeds and that's what we're trying to do with our Razor Patch fundraising campaign 
is we give kids a chance to garden. They learn how to grow things. They learn where their food comes from. It's really important that they know that carrots just don't come from the supermarket and how they can grow their own food. And there's something that we've seen, and I see this with my own two young boys as well. If I buy something unusual for them from the supermarket and put it on their plate, they go, oh, mum, what's that? But if they've grown it themselves and been involved in growing it, they're much more likely to eat it. So mm. I can put little baby spinach leaves just raw on my son's dinner plates and they will eat them. And we eat snow peas from the garden and raw carrots and um, corn and all sorts of things. So kids will actually be more adventurous with their eating habits if they've been involved and growing it themselves. So we really sat down and we thought, how can we get more kids involved in gardening? And one of the things is razor patch. So instead of selling chocolates and sugary treats, they can now sell seeds. So we've got different boxes of veggies and herbs and flowers and all sorts of things. And they can raise more money for their school or their sporting club or whatever um, special project that they're trying to raise funds for by selling seeds than they can with chocolate. So we, we thought it was a was a pretty good all-everyone-win situation. Absolutely. Now, Angie, what happens, though, if parents say, oh, but I don't know how to garden, I don't garden, so I won't know what to do with a box of these seeds? Oh, look, if you in each box is some pretty good little information pamphlets, very simple on, on how to grow. So even if you've never... Um, if you think you've got a very, very brown thumb... There's always help at hand. So one of the, one of the things people can do, uh, Yates has got a team of horticulturists actually that are on standby all the time pretty much. I think from about 10 o'clock in the morning till 9 at night and then 10 and 4 on the weekends. There's, there's always someone to help if you have no idea where to start. But the seed packets themselves also have a pretty good summary of what to do, like how deep to sow the seeds and whether that particular plant likes full sun or a bit of shade or how big it grows. So there's quite a little bit of information actually on the seed packets, but we do include some information as well. And and there's lots of information on the Yates website too. So we've tried to choose seed varieties that are some of the easiest to grow and that the kids will love eating like the little tiny cherry tomatoes and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So, but there's lots of um, inspiration and help at hand. <coughs> oh, excuse, excuse me. Sorry about that. We also have um, a, on our fundraise, uh, fundraising website, our Razor Patch fundraising website, we've also got um, some really cute little videos with a little guy called Cedric the Gnome. Now, he is very, very cheeky. But what we're trying to do is make gardening fun. And gardening is meant to be fun. It's not meant to be a chore. So he's a little gnome friend that we've got, as well as Grant Denya. And they've got some really funny videos on starting gardens and how to get involved. So we're trying to make it as easy as possible for people to start. And hopefully, well, I think gardening's a bit addictive, actually. So we're hoping that if more kids can start to garden, get a chance to garden, that they will be gardeners for life, which is, I think, a really great thing. Absolutely. Now, if if someone's listening and, and they think, oh, this would be a great fundraiser for our school, how do they get started? Well, that's right. They're probably thinking, oh, gosh, we need some more hockey sticks for the hockey club or the scout group needs this or something like that. So absolutely. So they can jump on to a special website that we've got, and it's www.fundraising.yates.com.au. So it's fundraising.yates.com.au. 
So that's our Razor Patch special fundraising website. And then you can see all the different varieties of seed boxes that we have and then how to order them. And then you can also see where the videos are with Grant Denyer and Cedric Denome as well. So all the information is there and makes it very easy to order. But we really hope people will embrace this and uh, reduce the amount of chocolates that we're putting in kids' hands because we'd much rather give them a bunch of carrots. (laughs) (laughs) That would be great. Absolutely fantastic. I think the idea is brilliant and I really do hope that, uh, that yes, a lot of, um, I mean, th- this applies right across. It doesn't have to be schools, of course. It can be clubs and it doesn't have to be children necessarily either because I'm sure that uh, some of the adults would love to get stuck into this as well. Oh, that's right. You can make it a, um, an event actually. So, okay, we're going to start off all our herb pots today or let's all grow tomatoes. So mm. it doesn't have to be kids because um, we like gar- um, adults to become addicted to gardening as well. It's so good for you and it's good for the planet. Gardening is good for the soul. It is really one of the most wonderful things that you can do. And you get tomatoes and food and so it's, a, it's, a, it's just a lovely hobby to be involved with and it, and it gets people healthier and outside into the sunshine um, and a an understanding of where food comes from and what it takes to grow it. And that's a really important knowledge to have. Um, so I'm, I'm a rusted on gardener, so I love it. But uh, <laughs> if, if more people loved gardening, I think that would, uh, that would warm my heart. It would be fantastic. Now, something, something I don't know um, whether you've given this any thought, but um, with, the, with the boxes of seeds, have you geared any of them to the different seasons? So, for instance, would there be a range uh, that are more suited for, for spring planting and others more suited ready for um, winter crops? We do, actually. So we have a couple of different sorts. So at the moment, we've got our spring into swing boxes, which is suitable for spring. Um, and also towards um, autumn, we've got a, a boxes called Hop To It. So it's more um, autumn planting. But we've tried to make it as easy as possible for the boxes to be flexible so they can be planted at all different times of the year. But there are uh, certain seed varieties that are more suited to be planted at different times of the year. So it can be tailored to whatever time of the year that you'd like to uh, run a fundraising drive. Fantastic. So people ideally could could run one in autumn and one in springtime. We would love that. Yeah. (laughs) That would would be great. And there's so many different things that you can grow in general in different seasons. And um, so it's lovely to be able to fill your garden at all times of the year. So you've got something to to harvest at all times of the year, even if it's just a few sprigs of parsley or a little bit of spinach or a few baby carrots or something like that, just to be able to add something to your dinner plate and for the kids to see something added to the dinner plate or their lunchbox. There's a lot of schools now have um, compulsory fruit and veggie breaks, like some kids call them munch and crunch or fruit break or something like that. So if the kids are able to grow some of the things that go into their lunch boxes. I think that's a pretty proud moment as well. Um, and it tastes so much better and fresher when you grow it yourself. I think you've got a ready-made show and tell there if yeah. they can come to school with something they've grown themselves. That's right. That's, that's right. So it just it doesn't, um, it doesn't have to be a big thing, just a little thing. So one little thing to be added to your family's um, meal plan or lunch boxes every week so I don't want people to think gardening is is overwhelming just start small yep. one pot of something yep. and that can be the start of a really wonderful journey and, and and at the same time you're supporting your school or your sporting organization or whatever that's 
right. You make more money um, selling seeds than you do with chocolates, and it won't um, won't increase your waistline or your uh, visits to the dentist. <laughs> <laughs> good so point. It's, good, it's a good thing. Okay. Um, so for listeners, can you just give out that uh, that uh, web address again? Sure. So it's www.fundraising.yates.com.au. So it's a bit of a long one, fundraising.yates.com. .au and all the information is there but they can also call us as well if they've got any queries. Fantastic. Thanks so much for talking to us this morning Angie and I think it's a great, great uh, idea and uh, all the very best of success with that. I really appreciate your time. Thanks everybody. No worries. Bye. Bye. Okay, we have a few callers to get to. First up we're going to go to uh, Adam who's out in Heathmont. Good morning Adam. Good morning. Good morning gardeners. Morning. Morning. (laughs) Um, I've got a bit of an issue with uh, some of my plants. The leaves are going very yellow, and I'm just wondering whether maybe they've got too much water um, or quite possibly something else. Which plants are they? Um, well, there's Michaelia alba, which is struggling, and then there's um, some primulas and um, uh, anemones um, and possibly nasturtiums as well. Have you had a dig around the soil to see to see what it feels like? If it feels really wet or really dry, or not really. I mean, when we we've just sort of done this bed and d- down about uh, half a meter, it was just rock hard clay. Um, so I assume that's fairly wet because it doesn't drain very well. Okay. Whereabouts um, are you? In Heathmont. Heathmont. Yeah. yeah, I think. Look, yellowing leaves at this time of the year yeah. is not actually all that uncommon. Um, yeah. What I'd, look, old leaves tend to finish up. You know, like even if it's an evergreen plant, it'll it'll sort of rejuvenate itself at this time of the year. I'd be looking more at the new growth that's that's starting to appear now and seeing if that's yellowing. If if the old leaves are yellowing and yeah. and desiccating and falling off, that's not such a problem. Have a look on all those things and see if there's new growth coming through that's got that's that's green and healthy looking. And then if that's the case, then it's just a, a matter of patience and the season will move through. Yeah. When we have had a lot of rain, it could be if things are in heavy clay soil and in a wet spot that this would be the sort of year when they would start to start to show less vigour. Um, yep. I think you mentioned anemones there. I'd probably just chop them back anyway, chop them back to the ground because they'll rejuvenate and have fresh yeah, growth. They're still, still flowering and they're looking, looking quite good at the moment. Yeah, okay, when they finish flowering, I'd chop them back. Yep. Yep. Um, you're not going to chop back your Michaelia, <laughs> um, uh, but so I the Michaelia is new actually. So when we when we put it in. Fairly soon afterwards, it started showing. Yeah, started going yellow, and it just—I think it gets maybe gets a bit too much wind, and it's just yeah. looking a bit battered. Look, it, it could just be a bit of transplant. Yeah, it could be a, yeah, a little bit of stress. Yeah. Have you have you fertilised them? Yeah. So when we started this bed, I just I dug down to to the clay and then broke up the clay and then added loads of gypsum and uh, compost and manure and um, blood and bone and all sorts. Yep. Just to try and fix the soil a little bit and then we started planting and yeah haven't added any manure recently but it was only only three months ago that i started the bed so okay now that it's this the weather's sort of warming up a bit maybe give them an, another feed of you know a slow release fertilizer yep springtime and autumn time is usually pretty good to fertilize the garden and you could even uh use some some um seaweed liquid seaweed sea soil or maxi crop or something and yep. um get the leaves as well because um okay, those yeah. seaweed seaweed fertilizers are good for for leaves especially if they're a bit yellow okay yeah yeah 
Um, and with Cali Rabo, my dad's had good ones in the past and they've been great for five years, ten years, and then just suddenly die. I'm a bit worried about this with Cali Rabo. Do you know why they would just suddenly die when they were happy before? Oh, it, I don't know. Sometimes they should live longer than that. Michaelia yes, Alba should. should definitely live longer than that. Yeah, it, it's really hard to know in individual circumstances yeah. what what has caused a, a sudden death like that. Yeah. Um, I think I think your one you've got now is more more an issue of transplant shock and timing. I think you know yeah. you've, you've planted it at the cold time of the year. The soil is yeah. still pretty cold right now. Yeah, um, yeah. it's starting to warm up. Um, and it will warm up every day as the days are like they are today. Um, so I think you just you're going to come into growth phase. In terms of protecting it against the five year death, I don't know what that, that that's unknown. There's going to be other factors in that. Yeah. Uh, and without knowing what happened to your dad's ones, I don't. It's hard to know. Yeah. Okay, okay, Adam. Thanks very much for your help. All okay. the best. Bye. Thank you. Bye. You are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. Uh, in the studio this morning, we have Tim Sansom from the Diggers Club. We have Chloe Foster from the Friends of Cranbourne Botanic Gardens. And, of course, we have Graham Sargent from Silky's Rose Farm in Clonbernane. So if you'd like to jump on the phones and give us a call, ask a gardening question or make a comment, do uh, do feel free. The number is 94190155. That's nine. 9- Four one nine zero one double five. Next up, we're going to Catherine, who is in Richmond. Good morning, Catherine. Uh, good, good morning, Pam, and and good morning, panel. Good morning. Um, my my query lies with having um, two liquid ambers and an oak uh, very mature. They would be higher than the plane trees in Hoddle Street, if one can imagine. Right. So, high. Yeah. so they're extremely high, single-fronted terrace homes. They're in my neighbour's yard and she owns uh, their rental. She owns a house with the trees and the property next door and we're the third property. We get immense benefit from the trees, uh, as you could imagine, in a city and um, they're to the north of my, my property. My, um, they're to a height where I'm somewhat concerned because of the wind, obviously, and I'm looking at approaching the owner with, um, uh, with the aim to keeping them, but having them cut down to it um, uh, and I'm looking for an arborist to come in and give me an assessment so I can put it to the owner because I'm quite happy to pay a third for you know pay a portion of how much it would cost to to bring them down to a a safe level and they could a safe height and they could be very well safe now but being ignorant of the issue, I, I'm just wanting um, an opinion and then I can, and obviously a quote, but I'm wanting um, some information from a professional person to give me an idea on um, whether it, they need to be cut down, most importantly, because um, I love them. <laughs> Good on you for loving them. No, well, and obviously they have great benefit for you as well. No, they are. They're absolutely... Um, 
and especially in the, in the summer because you get so much relief and they're the only, really in the, in the immediate vicinity, the only trees he, uh, here. And uh, in the winter you get, they, they're deciduous as you well know and uh, we get the benefit of the light too. So the aim for me and paramount goal is to keep them and I've got to approach it in a sensitive way but I need um, some uh, guidance in relation to whether they need to be cut down most importantly to a height that's safe and the arborist could tell me well that they are safe at the height they are and I'm quite happy with that but I need an arborist and like looking for a doctor a doctor is a doctor unless you have some you know um, information in, in into uh, the person and, and and I have no idea with arborists at all and I don't know whether it falls within the panel's realm to sort of give me some direction uh, what I would suggest Catherine um, is Pam? Yes, it is. Thanks, Pam. Um, what I would suggest is that you actually talk to um, friends uh, of Burnley Gardens. Oh, thank you. Because um, I know they have um, several arborists uh, that they use throughout the gardens on a regular basis. Um, I, I don't particularly want to name any one particular arborist. That's right. But, I um, but I can guarantee that if you talk to the friends group there at Burnley sure. Gardens, they can recommend someone who they have used in the gardens who is highly qualified, That's who could come out and give you, um, give you proper advice and assessment. Oh, lovely. So I'll give, you, um, I'll give you the details for contacting oh, them. Oh, thank you. That's that's lovely. Okay. Do you do you I have, have a computer? Uh, do you have a computer? No. Okay. Well, I'll give you a phone number. Thank you. The friends group is nine zero three five nine zero three five six eight one five six eight one five. Yes. Pam and panel, thank you ever so much. Now you may not get onto them until Monday. Oh no, I wouldn't try today. Yep. Okay, but um, but uh, they will they will I'm sure be able to help you and uh, send out someone who you can uh, totally have some confidence in. Lovely, Pam. Thank you kindly. Okay. Bye. Bye. That number again, if you'd like to give us a call this morning, we'd love to hear from you, 94190155. We are running through until 9.15, so 94190155. Graham, let's talk about this gorgeous, gorgeous plant we have uh, sitting in front of us. Yes, Pam, um, I have a clematis here, and the, um, the reason why we have clematis as well as roses at our nursery is that um, you can grow clematis up into climbing roses and you can um, trim them and prune them at the same time. So you have that double pleasure. And the great thing with a lot of the hybrid um, um, flowers, um, just speaking to listeners about uh, the, the flower, it's about um, um, 150 millimetres across, a gorgeous flower, and these can be um, trimmed on a short stem and floated in a bowl on a table. So you've got the advantage of having some cut flowers in your, in your house as well. Um, so we've got a range of these at, the, at, at our nursery at the moment. And um, the, the main thing with clematis is, is when you plant them, make sure the, the roots are kept cool. And usually the best thing to do for, the, for that sort of thing is to um, maybe get some rocks and put it, put it around the root root base mm. um, to see them growing um, in New Zealand the clematis is, is something to behold 
they they really grow fantastically. And of course, in in England, people come back with reports of them seeing them in in England growing up um, pillars, pillar structures. Mm. Um, this particular one is a, is a sky blue to a mid blue. Um, if I could still breed a rose like this blue, I'd be wrapped. <laughs> uh, and this one's named Beauty of Richmond. But um, they enjoy the same sort of fertiliser as, as um, roses. And, of course, because they're very productive in flowers, they do need some feed. And, of course, liquid seaweed is fantastic on them as well. And um, they're the sort of thing that once this, this particular or most of the modern acclimators are finished, um, usually about um, mid-December, you can cut them back about, um, um, in the old language, about a foot from the ground, whip, whip all, all the structure off, and then you'll have flowers back on them again in the beginning of February. Oh, wow. So they're, they're very versatile. Oh, that yeah. flower is absolutely stunning mm. on that mm. plant. It's just, it is huge. Yes. Absolutely massive. I, I mean, there's, there's four on at the moment in, a, in, a, in an eight-inch pot, so it'll give you an idea of the number of flowers that they can produce. Absolutely. You can barely see any foliage. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's flower. right. Yeah. I mean, it would be about 20 centimetres across the one that I'm looking at at the moment. Yes. It's just yeah. massive. And they look lovely floating in a bowl. You just have to trim them back with a very short stem and mm. float them yeah. in a bowl on the, on, on the table. Now, Graham, roses usually usually need quite a bit of sunshine. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm presuming that, that this will handle, you know, mm. sunshine for most yes. of the day. Yeah. And one of the advantages of, of um, the recent um, released um, clematis is that they tend to grow more of a column and they don't spread out as much. So you've got room for the rose to be able to grow and, and get the advantage of the, of the sun. And um, also, so they're not in real competition with one another, whereas some of the um, um, species-type clematis tend to really mass up. Mm. Um, but uh, the modern ones are much um, suited for smaller gardens as well. Mm. Yeah. I know at the, at the Gardeners at Earth, <clears throat> before diggers were there, um, there was an old orchard of apple trees that was planted way, way back, probably 50, 60, 70 years ago. And Tommy and Penny Garnet had planted under each tree, because mm-hmm. each kind of specimen tree is in an open orchard, they'd planted the clematis. All right. So each one had a different species of clematis climbing up through the apple tree, mm-hmm. which created this wonderful sort of double flower effect. Yes. You, had the, you had the blossom of the apple, yes. and as well as these, and they were they're not, not quite as magnificent as these modern hybrids. They were, sort of, mm. they were using nephilents and a couple of other smaller flowering types. Mm. But they were, um, they were, yeah, it was a terrific mm. combination show, like mm. you're talking about with your roses. Yes, yeah. 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 A great talking point in the garden and also um, a, a, a challenge for children. How does that happen? Yeah. <laughs> How does that thing have both of those flowers? Yeah. 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 Challenge for adults, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not just kids. <laughs> Absolutely. So you've got a range of these up at the, uh, the nursery, Graham? At the moment, yes, we do have. Okay. Yeah. What sort of um, colour range have you got? Oh, uh, dark reds to mm. whites to blues. Um, we haven't quite got the, to the yellow yet. Um, yeah, it's a fairly good range that contrasts well. And, um, and we're sending them um, by mail um, even through the year. Um, people, okay. Yeah, we've got our special packaging process that we send them in the mail throughout the year. Right. Yes. Fantastic. Well, very impressive, I must mm. say. A really good talking point if you have one of those in your garden. Mm. <laughs> mm. Or even the way you've got it presented there, Graham, which mm. we, I presume you just cut that back 
last year in the pot, and because they flower off last season's growth, mm-hmm. you're getting this flush of flour in mm-hmm. a container. In a pot, yeah. 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 Right yeah. yeah. It's fantastic, yeah. isn't yeah. it? But the, the big thing is when you plant them in the garden or in a pot, keep those roots cool. Mm. Yep. Keep them cool. They love cool roots. Okay. In fact, you can plant them lower in the garden to what they would come in in the pot. Mm. And and that keeps that coolness. That's part of their natural process. Yeah, because yeah. I imagine in the wild species, the original mm. species, were forest species that are growing up through trees. So mm. the, the ground is shaded, and they're mm. and they're climbing up to the light in the canopy. Yeah, yeah. 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 A heavy layer of mulch around the bottom yeah, of great, them. Great, great. Yep. Yeah, great thing. And liquid seaweed is great to absorb through the you know, absorb the nutrition through the yep. leaves. Yep. Yep. Mm. Fantastic. Mm. Okay. Oh, it's a great idea to grow roses and clematis. Mm-hmm. Twining through together, mm-hmm. absolutely beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, excellent. All right, let's go next to uh, Gary, who's out in Whittlesea. Good morning, Gary. Good morning, panel. Look, uh, last year I had citrus gall wasp in my lemon, so I cut it back harshly. Right. And it's it's boomed. There's dozens of branches. I wonder if I should thin it out or something. There seems to be too many branches. I wouldn't thin it yet because um, you've got a lot of fresh growth going on. But as that as the season gets going and your tree starts to that those the branches start to form you can start to see how you might shape them into a, a more open shape then i would take a few of them out but at the moment i'd probably let it do its thing it's going into a phase of response after your big cut uh, and i would probably see where they all go and probably around christmas time or yeah around about christmas time midsummer i'd kind of go okay well i'll leave that one that one and that one and take out a few of them to keep it nice and open Okay. Now, also, I cut back a native frangipani, which is about oh, six or seven metres high, and uh, it doesn't. I've cut it down to about oh, three metres, and it doesn't look like it's going to shoot. Would that have killed it? I'm not sure about that, actually, Gary. I, I haven't. I haven't pruned the native frangipanis. Is it um, the hymenosperum flavum? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I only really know why it's common. I haven't pruned them before because it's a. a because it's a tree, I've just sort of, I've only ever, you know, you put it in and sort of let it go. Um, when did you prune it? Oh, probably um, March, I'd say. Now, it's got one little shoot that was left on it when we cut the tree, when we pruned it. Yeah. That's still there, but there's no other shoots on either the three branches that are there. Okay, well, look, a lot of plants sort of slow down their growth over the colder months. So just, you know, just give it another, you know, over this spring and summer season yep. um, maybe give it a bit of a fertilize okay um, and just and just watch it over the next six months or something and see how it goes if it doesn't come back um, this you know this springtime growing season then then you may have killed it okay. All right, well, <laughs> and you may have to one. plant another one <laughs> they've got a, they've got a funny habit those those um, native frangipanis where they tend to grow a, a, a stem and then a set of lateral branches and then mm. a blank stem and then a set of lateral branches. Um, I'm not sure if... Why did you cut it in the first place, actually? Oh, it was too big. It was dropping leaves on the roof and in the gutters and then yeah. blocking out the sun from a window. So, so, so it was pretty healthy before you cut it? Yes, it was really healthy. Mm. I'd say it's, it sounds like it's got a decent root system. I yeah, just, I'd I give it it'll some come time. Back. Yeah, yeah, you've just got to wait a little bit. All right, well, I, thank I, you very much. I think you could you could look at doing, giving it a tonic with some liquid seaweed. Yeah, and yeah. put it in a watering can and pour it in around the roots. Yep, mm. yep. and maybe do that once once every seven days or so for for. Um, um, you know, a couple of months, and I, I think you, you might find it be it'll be yeah. interesting. Yeah, and things, things are warming up in the soil. Yeah, right, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, thanks very much. Okay. Yeah. 
Thank you. Bye. Now, Chloe, you've brought in a kangaroo paw. I have. And, well, first tell us just... a bit about the kangaroo paw and then we'll go to what we need to remind All listeners right. about. This group of plants has taken over my life the last year or so. I bet it has. So this one that I've got in this pot here is one of um, a, a, a variety that Angus Stewart has bred as part of his landscape series. This one's called Landscape Violet, so it's his newest one. So it is um, a kangaroo paw. It's it's the same species as um, what we know as the, the Anagazanthus big red and the green ones and the yellow gems, and which are quite tough. And they're really good in Melbourne because they do well in a wetter soil that might get a little bit waterlogged in winter. Um, but they're very they're, they're tall and tough, and I think that's how Angus markets them. Um, this, this plant that I've got, is it's got a flower stem on at the moment. What the gardens have been doing with all the kangaroo paws that they've planted is um, cutting off that first flower that's come up to oh, encourage really? more flowers a couple of months down the track. Okay. I haven't been able to do that on this plant. <laughs> I don't blame you. you. I really flower. want to yeah. see the flower. And, yeah, I can see. and it's a little bit special because it's this um it's called landscape violet and it's so it's this, you know, beautiful bright purple colour. Um, it hasn't quite opened up at the moment, so I'm gonna wait another couple of weeks, a week or so till it opens and then I'll cut it off to encourage more flowers. Um but I've got it. I've got it in a pot. So the pot's probably about um, oh, I don't know, forty centimeters high at the moment, and it, and it's got a kind of narrow, just sort of glazed terracotta pot. So it's growing really well. It's less than a year old, this plant, and um, and it's already giving me a flower. And there's heaps of little pups on the side of it as well, which I think there's a couple more flower stems coming coming up as well. But yeah, these these varieties. So the landscape violet that Angus has got. There's also a landscape lilac. Um, which is another sort of lighter colour, and the landscape lime as well, which is a, a the light green end of the scale. But yeah, they're really tough. They're a really tough variety of, of kangaroo paw. And what everyone loves about the small kangaroo paws is the, the variety of colours, like bright pinks and different yellows and oranges. Um, but they don't do. They're not long-lived species. The yes. Anagazanthus flavidus are longer-lived species. The, the smaller ones, the species out in the wild are sort of they're not annuals but you know they'll only last a couple of years anyway so naturally they're going to die off and people get a little bit disheartened when the smaller ones die off in their garden yeah and it's not from anything that they've done wrong um it's it's just the the, the way that the plant is but with this anagazanthus flavidus uh the new these ones of angus's you can get the bright colours and you can get the tall stems and the larger the larger plants in, in these really cool different colours as well. So mm. this landscape violet is um is is our sort of plant that we're that we're really celebrating for this kangaroo paw festival that well, the friends actually, are holding with, with the garden. It's actually so. Angus is actually gonna be officially launching this, yes. isn't he? Yep. Um at, at the, the massive, massive celebration of kangaroo paws that's yeah. taking place. So I mean, like what you've been able to do with the Diggers Club, partner with the, with the Botanic Gardens, the, the friends of we're getting together with the Cranbourne or the Botanic Gardens and with all the staff down at Cranbourne and, and we're celebrating the kangaroo paw festival or the kangaroo paw family with, with the festival um, in November. So it's, I mean, you know how much planning goes into all these things yeah. and it's really exciting that it's, that it's finally coming up. The, we'll be launching this um, landscape violet um, at the Kangaroo Paw picnic in November. 
um, the gardens are, are running that, and they've got heaps of um, heaps of activities planned, and um, there'll be face painting and um, trash puppets, and the the garden staff have been working very hard. And the, what are trash puppets? Well, they use. Um, Rubbish, really, to right. to make puppets and um, I think things from op shops that they yes. that they sort of um, can make, you know, with kids to sort of um, recycle. So they recycle, upcycle, good. I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah it is upcycling. Good. Upcycling, there you go. But the hort staff down at the gardens have been madly planting so many kangaroo paws throughout the Australian garden um, this year, and they'll all be in flower and 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 up and ready for for November. So. Which is, of course, very why they have to cut off all their first flower stems yes. because they've got a deadline to meet. Yeah. Exactly. So yep. they want they don't want just one flower stem when, you know, they want more than one flower stem for a particular time of year, whereas yes. mine's just, I just want to enjoy it. You want to see it. it. I mean, yeah, it's I like want the, to see it, yeah. It's, it's like the roses at Flemington Racecourse for yeah. Cup Day, yes. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So, you know, you, you prune to, you know, for a, for a purpose sort of thing. But, um. So the, the Botanic Gardens have a, the Kangaroo Paw Festival on the uh, – sorry, the Kangaroo Paw Picnic on the – where's my date? It's on the 19th. On the 19th and 20th of November. And then the next weekend they're, – they're running events and we've got exhibitions all through November as well. Um, but the second last – or the last weekend in November, the Friends of Cranbourne are having a three-day Kangaroo Paw Symposium. So – we're having the first day, which is a science, botanical, horticultural, zoological day uh, at Domain House in at the Melbourne Gardens. Uh, and the night before that, we're, um, we're, we'll be lucky enough to hear a talk from um, Stephen Hopper, who's coming over from Kings Perth, who is hopping mad about kangaroo paws. He <laughs> is I know, oh, thank you. No one ever realised this until someone from America said, Oh, the you know, the the world lead you know, the leading kangaroo paw man his surname is Hopper. <laughs> <laughs> and no I don't think anyone in Australia realised that before but As long as he doesn't get hopping mad. Right? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I'm sure he's a very patient man. Um, so Stephen's doing a talk on the Wednesday night um, about um, Charles Darwin's unfinished business, and then the next day we start our three-day symposium. So the first day is yeah, sort of a, a science-based day at the Melbourne Botanic Gardens, and then the next two days uh, we've got down at Cranbourne. Um, day the second day is for professionals, so we'll be talking about marketing, breeding, designing with them, and cultivation, and, and the sort of diseases that you might um, face with them. Um, and then the third day, Saturday, is, is for home gardeners and enthusiasts. We're just talking about how you can use them in your garden and sort of the benefits that you have. I mean, the birds just love mm. kangaroo paws, the, the little spine bills. They love sticking their beak mm. down, down the tubes of the flowers. So we'll be talking all about that. And not just kangaroo paws, but the cotton heads as well, kind of stylus. And there's, there's quite a few um, plants in, in the Hemodoraceae family that, uh, that sort of are lesser known, and we'll be talking about them as well. So it's it's going to be a big month for everyone down at Cranbourne, but we're really looking forward to it. Absolutely, yeah. I think there's even a botanical art exhibition yeah. in honour of the kangaroo paw, isn't yep. it? Yep. So we have but there's botanical art, and we've so there's the the Cranbourne has the botanical illustrators. Our group of the basket makers have been using. Um, kangaroo paw foliage and making baskets and, and okay. other sort of 
things out of that. So they'll have a display as well. And there's the, the the botanical fabricators have been working away making um, you know some little quilts and other displays with fabric that have you know, kangaroo paw and Connor stylus on it as well. So there's a Ex- big, big exhibition, a big celebration of um, of a plant that's very popular. Absolutely. Now, what what we should mention, uh, Chloe, is if people want to attend um, any day with that uh, symposium. Yep. How do they book? Because they do need to book they, in advance. They do need to book. That's right. So you can call me, actually, because <laughs> I'm the booking officer for all of this. Uh, my number is 97253569, um, and you can book through there. Or there is information on the Botanic Gardens website that will take you to a couple of different links. Um, and we're also on Facebook as well where you can find out how to book, and we can email you out a booking form. Um, if you'd like. Mm-hmm. Now, do people also, um, I presume, need to book for Steve Hopper's talk on the Friday? Yes, yes, that's true. So um, the Melbourne friends are taking the bookings for Steve Hopper's talk, so you'd be able to um, jump on their website, which is rbgfriendsmelbourne.org, um, and, and find the find a booking form for that as well. Fantastic. Yeah. Yes. Oh, it's going to be a, a full month a very of very, full month. very exciting events. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Brilliant. And we'll be selling – that's the thing I forgot to say. We're gonna, we'll be having a plant sale as well. So the kangaroo paw picnic will be selling heaps of kangaroo paws. Angus's, Angus Stewart has donated quite a few um, and Rams Botanicals has donated a, a lot of plants for us as well. So we've been growing them and the, the gardens have been growing them as well. So we'll be able to sell them on the weekend of the Kangaroo Paw Picnic and we'll also be selling them on the days of the Kangaroo Paw Symposium too. So you can buy some. Is there a cost to attending the picnic? No, the picnic is free. So you can just turn up and there'll be there's we're having there'll be stalls from I think uh, Kawara Gardens is coming. Um, we'll have a contingent from the um, Wildlife Art Museum of Australia who are up in the Grampians. They're coming down as well. Um, and a couple of other native gardens, Wilson Park, we'll, we'll have a, a stall there. And everyone can vote for their favourite kangaroo paw and we'll have a crowning of the king and crowning of the queen. <laughs> um, yes, there is so much going on. Yeah, so it'll be both weekends will be super, super fun. Brilliant. Yeah. Okay, excellent. We have some more callers to get through. Uh, next up we're going to uh, Hugh, who's out in the Yarra Valley. Good morning, Hugh. Good morning, Pam. Good morning, Panna. Good morning, Victoria. <laughs> morning, I got, Hugh. I got three little, little, little questions. Number one with uh, Graham. Um, I, I have planted in pots. Uh, standard roses and uh, bush roses and so on and so forth. And um, I want to know if it is true to cut the flowers off, of the buds off, to encourage a root growth of those plants, of those roses in, in these pots, they're 30 centimeter pots. So um, the, the bush will develop itself a little bit better so cut the buds all off before they flower. Yes, you could do that, Hugh. But and leave then, one flower for you, so you'll you'll be able to really experience it. Yeah, they're all courts, you know. I'm I'm looking forward to it. And the other question also on roses is some of them are standard roses. Yes. The question there is: Shall I just let the strong branches grow and cut all the other ones off, or? 
just let them all grow first and just cut only the buds off. Are you planning on leaving them in the pots, Hugh? Yes. You are? Yes. Okay. I, uh, I, would, I would just give them a light trim. That would be all. At this time of the year? Yes. Okay. And I just want to say is in the past years I've been uh, adding uh, sea salt or et, et cetera into the water and the last, uh, and that was not very successful, I thought, but I wasn't sure. And in the last catalogs of other growers, they said, dump them only for 24 hours in plain water. Don't add anything in it. And it is very, very successful not to okay. add anything. Yes. So that is that question. And the other one is on crinum, C-R-I-N-U-M. Now, years and years ago, I put bulbs. A lady gave me bulbs, and she wasn't quite sure. Preserve, preserving and, and engaging in Australian gardening. Which I think is, is just the most wonderful idea. That's mm. the best thing that, um, that's really been done, you know. Clive, I take my hat off to him. He's, um, yeah, it's, oh, look, it's been his He's very visionary. It, yes, it certainly has been, yes. Yeah. He's devoted his life to it all, and it's, it's just... Uh, Fantastic. So the big the big plant sale is in two weeks' time. Two weeks' time. Cloud 22nd, Hill next 23rd. weekend. Cloud Hill next weekend, goodness me. Kangaroo Paw Festival in November. In November, that's right. Rare plants and yeah. when's that? 22nd, 23rd yep. of October. Yes. So it, it all is definitely all happening. happening in Melbourne. Yep. Um, if people want to come up to the farm, Graham, and... and have a look at roses because some of them must be coming out in bloom surely by yeah, now. We're about two weeks away yet. Are you? Yes. Yep. Ah, my Dublin Bay has started. Yes. Yes. Mm. When 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 she's in full flight, she's just stunning. But mm-hmm. this is the time of year I I just can't wait because it's, I see her directly out my kitchen window and mm. uh, it's all starting to happen. So not long to go. Mm. So. People yep. are welcome on weekends yes. to come up to the farm. Yeah, we're, we're officially open Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Okay. And, and don't forget the roses at the Melbourne Cup, hey? Yeah, oh, that's, yeah the that's place right. to see them. Yep. And whereabouts are you again, quickly? We're at um, 550 McDonald's Road in Clonbanane, just straight up the Hume Freeway, and you'll see Clonbanane. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Okay, we've run out of time for yet another week. A huge thank you to the panel and also to Jenny, who's been handling all the phone calls this morning. We will, of course, be back at 7.30 next weekend, so tune in then. Until then, bye for now.